At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I got the chance to sit down with Yasmin Khan, cookbook author, broadcaster, and human rights campaigner. Her latest book is Ripe Figs, Recipes and Stories from Turkey, Greece, and Cyprus. And what first drew me to Yasmin's book was a cake with a simplicity that I had never seen before. It's this week's Genius Recipe on Food 52, an unfussy, very citrusy layer cake that's mixed all in one bowl in one step, or two if you count the frosting. And I am so glad that this cake drew me in. Not just for the joy of having such a sunshiny dessert in my life and learning yet another baking rule that we don't necessarily have to follow, but because Yasmin's book is as extraordinary to read as it is to cook from. In her books, Yasmin uses everyday stories to explore human connection, this time in the Eastern Mediterranean. Challenging stereotypes and sharing regional history side by side with deeply personal, often tragic, and simultaneously uplifting stories in a way that I have never seen a cookbook do so well. In this episode, we will get to hear more from Yasmin on all of that plus some of the common threads of the delicious food across the Eastern Mediterranean. But first, here she is to tell us about one of her earliest food memories and how it shapes the work that she does now. When I was a little child living in Iran, every day I would kind of grab onto my mum's legs as she was leaving for work and I would kind of beg her not to go and like cry in the way that like toddlers do. And my mum would say to me, look, I need to go to work because I need to earn money so I could buy you pomegranates. And I would practically push her out of the door uh, when I heard that. I need to try that with my daughter. <laughs> um, yeah. It sounds very effective. <laughs> and that is a true story which really epitomizes my love not only of the pomegranate, which is probably the national fruit of Iran, um, is of course where my mum's family are from. But more than that, a real passion for fresh ingredients from the Middle East. And it's been a real honor to be able to share some of the beauty uh, that I saw as a child growing up. You know, my grandparents were farmers in Iran, so I'll I really had this playground um, as a kid of, of kind of a rice farm with you know, pomegranate trees and a kiwi orchard and, you know, growing our own, you know, squash and eggplant and herbs and, uh, you know, being able to like harvest quinces. And, and it really was so idyllic. 
I guess that is really what brings me to what I do. I want to show people the beauty that exists in places more commonly associated with conflict. And I think food is such a wonderful way to do that. Mm. You didn't start out working in food. You worked in human rights activism for 10 years and found yourself burning out and needing to take a step back. Can you share with us how you decided to channel that work into writing cookbooks? Sure. I grew up in a really foodie house. So my mom, you know, was a nutritionist and dietitian. Uh, so, you know, had us eating brown rice salads in the 80s, you know, and my grandparents were farmers. So um, I guess from a really un- young age, this, you know, the idea of, of food was very central to our family um, for the livelihoods of, of everybody in it. Um, but but more than that, I think, as anybody, I think, who, who grows food will recognize, when you surround yourself with fresh produce, you, I think, begin to really... Um, I guess, not only just enjoy the the, the process of growing, but you also start really enjoying what you can do with that. Um, So cooking was always, you know, a big part of of our time together as a family. And my grandmother would like, oh my God, she would create these epic meals feeding kind of like 16 of us with like so many courses. That was kind of the background in which I grew up. But yeah, you're right. I worked as a human rights campaigner for many years. I trained in law. I worked for different like nonprofits, you know, the the kind of legacy of the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan to like police shootings. I mean, like very, you know, um, pretty heavy stuff. And like a lot of activists who are working on pretty intense topics, um, I wasn't really looking after myself and ended up having like quite a like typical kind of burnout uh, breakthrough, as uh, a therapist would probably say, but um, mm. uh, burnout at the age of 30 and needed to take some time off. And uh, during that time, you know, it all kind of went a bit eat, pray, love. Like I went to Thailand and like did lots of yoga and started dating a yoga teacher. And uh, <laughs> But amidst all of that, I also started thinking, okay, what next? I had this idea that, well, actually, I love food. I love cooking. I come from a family where, you know, food and food growing is so central to who, you know, we are. And um, maybe there's something I can do that combines my passion for food and my love of, of you know, Iran with what was my activism, which was mainly around kind of um, shining a light on places that don't get a lot of media attention, um, supporting human rights struggles and challenging stereotypes of the Middle East. And all of this came together in my first book, The Saffron Tales, which was my journey through Iran, cooking and eating with people from all walks of life. And it's a selection of beautiful recipes and stories um, and I guess it just went from there. After that, I worked on Zaytun, recipes and stories from the Palestinian kitchen, which follows a similar format, um, traveling around um, Israel, the West Bank. Um, I couldn't get into Gaza because of the blockade. So I kind of did interviews with people um, in the Gazan diaspora or over Skype. My third book, you know, that that kind of came out more recently, again, follows kind of a similar thread in terms of, you know, combining food, travel and stories. But this time takes us to the eastern Mediterranean, to Greece, Turkey and Cyprus, um, places that really kind of bridged 
East and West, Europe and Asia for several millennia. And the reason why I was fascinated in that place is not only, you know, the incredible food, um, you know, whether it's dolmades or crispy calamari or hearty moussakas or delicious hot yogurt soups, but also because that region has seen the biggest movement of people into Europe since the Second World War. Around five million people have Kind of come through those countries since 2015, and just to put that in perspective to what we're seeing, you know, unfolding in Ukraine at the moment, uh, where obviously huge numbers of people are being displaced. That at the moment is you know coming in around 1.5 million. So still huge numbers of people, and I wanted to go there and explore the cuisine of the area, but also kind of take a step back and use the food. To look at what borders mean in the 21st century, is there anything you were hoping for readers to take away from your book about the Eastern Mediterranean and the food and the people and the history? What's the most important thing you would hope that people would take away? The borders of the Eastern Mediterranean are as fluid as they have been contested over thousands of years. Um, and in many ways, I think the area is really a microcosm of issues we see world over around um, how borders are essentially just political constructs. Mm-hmm. And what you see this most clearly at is at the dining table, where the food of all three countries reflects the constant movement of people that we've seen. So whilst each country has its own unique language and culture and history, you know, the style of eating is very similar, be that meze, you know, the beautiful assortment of small plates, uh, you know, maybe 15 or 16 uh, plates over several courses that can go on for hours. All the ways that dishes are kind of united um, around delicious extra virgin olive oil and lots of garlic and abundant use of herbs such as mint and dill and parsley, or the way that I guess the herbs that are used, oregano and thyme and and pulbeber, which is the Turkish name for I guess what is more commonly known as Aleppo pepper. And so, really, at the table, I really started identifying commonalities where I think uh, the political construct of borders would artificially say there are divisions. Hey, it's Kristen. If you're enjoying this chat with Yasmin as much as I did, head over to the Genius Recipe Tapes and hit follow so you don't miss out on other stories like this one, and like our recent episode with Eric Kim who talked about his spicy, sticky, sweet yum chickpea recipe and how his family helped him write his debut cookbook, Korean-American Food That Tastes Like Home, in both expected and unexpected ways. In the second half of this episode, Yasmin shares the origins of this week's genius recipe, a sweet and tangy, fragrant citrus cake that was inspired by a revolutionary cafe in Cyprus. Meet you back here for that. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024.
In Right Figs, through all of the interviews that you have and the very like in the moment storytelling of individual people in all of these areas and individual organizations and restaurants and and, and movements within the region, you end on um, a very sad but also hopeful essay about Cyprus and um, the political division there and uh, the Home for Cooperation Cafe. Would would you mind just sharing with our listeners a bit of what, you know what how that division plays out in the daily life of Cypriots and how the Home for Cooperation plays a role in that? Sure. So Cyprus is, you know, part of Europe. It's a beautiful Mediterranean island, um, but it's been divided since 1974 into kind of the Turkish Republic of Cyprus in the north and the Republic of Cyprus in the south, which is more Greek. You know, these communities used to live side by side and there are huge efforts to try and reconcile the island. And Home for Cooperation was this really incredible cafe that is literally in the no man's land in the buffer zone along the UN partition line dividing the north and the south of the island. And it operates as a social centre with a really vibrant cafe, which um, has, which has, you know, Greek Cypriot and Turkish Cypriot chefs and has kind of different menus that reflect the diversity on the island as well as like incredible like library and brilliant events like cultural events and I kind of went there a few times but kind of one of the recipes that struck me the most from my time there was this gorgeous citrus infused cake so it's kind of like very simple cake um, with a really soft crumb which came about from using whole full fat natural yogurt one of the essential ingredients of Cypriot cuisine is kind of yogurt in almost like every meal you'll have you'll have a bowl on the table so it's not a surprise that they put it in cakes as well and then you know using kind of both the zest and the juice of oranges and lemons and um, the cake is kind of sweetened and, and and fragranced that way and you know I had it on this incredibly hot it's like scorching hot August afternoon where I kind of came in I'd been like traipsing through Nicosia which is the capital um, of the island it's Europe's last divided capital city and I ordered myself a frappe which is um, like the drink of Cyprus it's Mm. this kind of I don't know I'm sure a certain high street coffee um, you know chain kind of probably riffed the idea from them but it's essentially you know like a frozen kind of coffee blended um so I ordered one of those and a slice of this cake and it was just so heavenly like just kind of sweet but tangy and fragrant um and just thinking of it now makes me smile actually Mm. was it in the same form that you ended up recreating back at home or like was it a a layer cake with the cream cheesy frosting or, or how did you end up riffing on it when you were were developing the recipe at home. It's funny, I was actually looking at the picture that I took in the cafe. And yeah, it was not a layer cake, but it did have that really tangy kind of frosting. So I use a cream cheese just because I just adore like cream cheese uh, frostings. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. that one was probably more of a, I'm going to use like a strange yogurt, kind of closer to like a labneh that was sweetened. Yeah, so that that's what it was like. And, you know, the way I, I develop all the recipes for my books um, is that I tend to kind of travel around with a notepad and a... <laughs> my my kind of phone's kind of dictaphone function and I kind of talk to people and I snap photos and I taste things and, you know, really 
involve myself in that in the place when I'm there you know my research trips take months I don't kind of just you know fly in and fly out but then when I come home I I just you know tweak them I play around with them I you know probably make them with ingredients that maybe are easier for us to access and also you know to kind of my own personal taste Mm -hmm. I specifically remember like the cake was really good so I just went up to the counter and I said oh this is really good like what's in it and actually the person who baked it was kind of there and she kind of came we talked about it but it was just you know I think their measurements even with baking are very much so um flexible I think it's like a pinch of this a cup of that a little bit of that I think you know often when I'm cooking with people um yeah I just kind of try and get headlines for what's in it and and then have that as something to work from And now we all have this incredibly simple, incredibly sunny cake that we can make anytime and think of Cyprus with your stories. Yes, I hope so. Cyprus has been like at the crossroads of Europe and the African continent and and the Asian continent. And so many different empires have come through it over, you know, so many years. And so it's, you know, taken on the influence from, you know, Venetians and Romans and Persians and, you know, the Ottomans. And you kind of really see that in so much of the food. Some of my favorite dishes when I was there that I've I've put recipes for in the book are things like uh, these wonderful like sweet tahini swirls, which are beautiful little baked goods of basically think of like a cinnamon roll, but with like sweet, crunchy tahini kind of woven throughout it. Um, There was this guy in like Nicosia who used to bake them every morning and you you kind of would hear him kind of go through the streets with his cart. He would shout out and uh, my friend who I was staying with would always like run out of the house and go and buy us some. Uh, So I really remember those. Then there's like these incredible things such as like soups made with like yogurt. So there's an incredible hot yogurt soup that I had, which is again, honestly, I really recommend trying it. It's one of my favorite recipes in the book. It's thickened with rice and it's flavored with kind of mint and it's kind of finished with a a chili butter kind of drizzle. You know, it sounds like that's just so many things that you wouldn't normally expect together. But, you know, yogurt soups are a big part of, of food from that region. And it was so wonderful on the trip to discover new things and kind of learn from the incredible generosity but also talent of so many of the cypriots i cooked with uh, just how to yeah enjoy their their wonderful food thanks for listening and my thanks to yasmin khan her new book is called ripe figs recipes and stories from turkey greece and cyprus this week's episode was put together by amy schuster harry sultan and emily hanhan If you have a favorite recipe that can instantly bring you back to a memorable place that you've traveled, I would love to hear about it at geniusatfood52.com or just tag me on Instagram at myglorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes and the Food 52 Podcast Network, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find the show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating or review or send this episode to someone who could use a little sunshine right now. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.